And I think it's good that we look into prophetical events from time to time because if, if there are things yet to happen in the future, we need to know something about them. And if we're Christians and we're going to an eternity in heaven, wouldn't you like to know something about it? And so as the last of the messages from prophecy in this series, we're ending with the eternal state where we'll finally be for all eternity from now on. And so we're seeing if we can learn something from it. We'll be uh, in our text verse. Actually, we're going to go to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 is where we'll begin reading. Hebrews 11 and verse number 13. Uh, Hebrews 11 is known as the faith chapter, the, the, uh, God's hall of faith for the heroes of the faith. And so he talks about a lot of these people who lived and served God and died. And many of them were looking for something far better in the future, as you and I do. And so in verse number 13, the writer of Hebrews says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. For they say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they, watch these words, desire a better country, that is, and heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath, he hath prepared for them a city. We want to talk about that land, that country, and that city today as we preach on this subject, to desire a better country. To desire a better country. I love America. It's got some things going haywire in it right now, but I'd rather be in America as any place else uh, on this earth. But there is a better country. This is temporary. We're pilgrims here. Let's pray together and then we'll talk about it. Father, I pray that you'd bless us today. And Lord, give us the enlightenment, the illumination of the Holy Spirit of God as we look into these ideas, these thoughts, these scriptures of heaven. And Lord, help us to be able to see more clearly that which does lie in the future, and yet we long to be there. Bless us to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To desire a better country. We're seeking, everybody I think is seeking, most everybody, virtually everybody, seeking answers to life's questions, and especially those about heaven. Can we find answers about it. Are our views of heaven correct? Most of us have some sort of idea of what we think of heaven. How accurate are those ideas? Is heaven a totally different existence and world than this one we're accustomed to? Is it a spiritual or physical place? Will there be animals in heaven? Will we know each other there? 
Will we get to play golf, Brother Chad? <laughs> Will we get to go boating, maybe fishing? Will there be sports activities there? Will we eat and sleep and laugh and play? Or are we just going to a boring existence where we sit on a cloud and play a harp all day for a gazillion years that never come to an end? Will there be more than just this city called the New Jerusalem? Will heaven just be a gaseous fog in which we exist? Or will there be countrysides and other countries and other cities outside the New Jerusalem in this thing we call heaven? Will we be able to actually see sun and moon and planets? Because after all, we studied a couple of weeks ago about how God says that everything's going to melt with fervent heat after the white throne judgment. What will exist? And what will we see? And can we explore things and do things on our own or will we be in a place of tight rules where we're not allowed to veer off the path that's prescribed for us? Were the pilgrims that we just read about in the Bible, were they unique and desiring to be in a better country? Or is that a desire that you and I may have too? Intriguing questions. And we seek answers. I wonder, can we see some in the scriptures that we'll look at today? Let's begin, let's begin briefly by asking the question, why? In other words, what from God's perspective, what is the purpose of heaven in the first place? I mean, you and I know what we kind of want out of heaven. But since he's the one that made it, and he's the one designing the way to get there, um, what did God have in mind, and what is the point of heaven? Well, number one is to restore God's purpose. You remember in the Garden of Eden, God created man in the Garden of Eden, and Adam and Eve lived pretty good for a while, and then they sinned, and the, the world became a fallen place. Men... Humankind became fallen creatures, even the planet and the animals, everything, even the plants. That's where we got briars with thorns. Even the rose bushes have thorns on them. And so Adam and Eve started out well. God designed them to live in the Garden of Eden. So when mankind fell, did God say, okay, that's it. <laughs> no more Eden for you. No more paradise for you. Or did he have a plan in mind to bring back something like Eden. Genesis 1, 31, God created everything good. You know that, right? In Genesis 1, 31, it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. <laughs> and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Sound like whatever God made there at Eden was very good. That's what the Word says. So what's wrong with Eden? And where did it go? <laughs> Revelation 21.3, we're talking about the fact that God wanted to bring back His original plan to restore His purpose. He wanted to design heaven, not only bring back His purpose, but to reveal God's person. What's God like anyway? 
Have any of, have any of you seen him this morning? Don't answer that. We'll wonder about you. <laughs> What's God like? The Bible says no man has seen him and lived. <laughs> In the flesh, at least. So what's God like? Well, he wanted us to know. And it says in Revelation 21, 3, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. <laughs> and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. So was God with man, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden? The Bible says he walked with them every day in the cool of the day. They had a special time together and then after they sinned, it says God came looking and he didn't find them. He said, Adam, Adam, where art thou? Well, now, of course he knew and he knows where you are when you're hiding from him. <laughs> but it was man that hid from God. But that wasn't what God wanted. And that's not why God created man in the first place. He wanted to have fellowship with his crowning creature, man. The only one that he gave a soul to, a, a spirit. And so now God with heaven wants to bring man back into fellowship with him so he can actually dwell with them much like he did in the Garden of Eden where he walked with them in the cool of the day. He says here in Revelation in the very last book of the Bible and the eternal state it says that he's going to dwell with us who are saved and we're going to be his people and he's going to be our God and he's going to tabernacle with us. That means he's, he's sharing the same quarters with us. He won't be some God way off out there in outer space. He's going to be right with us. That's part of his purpose. If you ever wondered about God's person, you know the verse that says so much about him that you probably have memorized, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world. God so loved the world. And that, that means everything. Mankind. <laughs> it says he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever should believe in him would have everlasting life. That's how much God loves the creature he made. He was willing to sacrifice his own son. Rod. You just had a brand new son. Would you be willing to sacrifice him for anybody in this room? <laughs> no, I wouldn't either. He looks like a keeper. <laughs> but God sacrificed his only son because he loved you and me. That tells you something about God's person. A great deal of love more than you and I could even fathom. So heaven is a place where God will restore fellowship. He made us as human beings to have fellowship with us, to walk with us, to be close with us, to share his love with us. And yet man fell. And so now heaven awaits us so he can restore that fellowship because he loves us. Now let's see, secondly, the place of heaven the place of heaven. Where is it anyway? Curtis Hudson said he thought it was way out beyond the North Star somewhere. Uh, yet here in the Bible, in, in our text that we've read in the weeks past, we read that God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And so where is heaven anyway? 
to better understand heaven, it would be good if we look back at Eden a little bit. That's God's original creation, and God must have had some sort of existence in mind that got thwarted by Adam and Eve's sin. So if we think back, what was Eden like? And that ought to give us a little bit of idea that what heaven would be like, like to go back, start over again. God made Adam and Eve fitted for the Garden of Eden to dwell on earth. They were designed to live in a specific place with specific features. Now their Eden was not as much like the world we see around us because our world has been marred by sin and by the fall. We live in a cursed world. But Eden was not cursed in the beginning. It was a paradise. And so whatever God created Eden for, for Adam and Eve, that must give us some clues to what the new heaven and new paradise would be like. What happened to Eden anyway? Well, many theologians and Bible teachers think that when Adam and Eve got driven out of the uh, Garden of Eden, that God took it up, removed it from the earth, and that's why we find no traces of it. Perhaps it was in Mesopotamia, in the cradle of civilization. We don't know. But we can't find it. Nobody's found it yet. Ponce de Leon looked for it in Florida. All he found was alligators. Many Bible students believe that God took paradise away from the earth and has it awaiting now in heaven for those who have eternal life. What about this present creation? Well, Romans 8, 21, what we look around us now and see what you see around you, the world we live in right now. Romans 8, 21 says, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth together together until now. In pain, that it travails together. Mankind groans. Anybody got arthritis? Anybody got sickness, pain, broken limb? conditions that make you stiff. The older we get, the more we grunt. I used to wonder why my dad, every time he would move, he'd grunt and groan. Why does he have to do that anyway? That's annoying. I'm there now. I understand fully what he, what he meant when he said, oh, when he got up out of his chair, he'd groan. You know what that means, right? If you're a little bit older or if you've got arthritis or some condition. Well, the, the whole creation groans because it... It's corrupt, it's fallen because of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. The whole creation is groaning together waiting for that day of redemption to come when God will make all things right and He'll remove the curse and everything will be Edenic again. The present earth is cursed. What about the prophetic heaven, the one that we expect in the future when we die and go there and the one that is called the new heaven? What do we believe about that? Well, the Bible indicates that there's going to be a new earth. We talked about that a little while ago and a few weeks ago, that that this earth is going to melt with fervent heat and he's going to create a brand new earth. And so we know that'll happen. That curse will even be removed 
during the thousand years prior to the eternal state. And we had a message on that. The millennial reign of Christ. Once, once Jesus returns, the second coming, then he will institute a millennium, a thousand years where he governs on earth. This will be sort of a preview of eternity. <clears throat> now there will still be some lost people that will be born during the millennial reign of Christ. So it's not exactly like heaven, but the curse is lifted. And there will be a lot in the millennial reign of Christ that will be just like it will be in the eternal state a thousand years later. So why even have that thousand year reign? Why not just go straight into the eternal state immediately when Jesus comes back? Well, because... There has to be a time of justice for all those who have hated God, for all those who have been enemies of God. There has to be a time, because there could be, for you and me and all those martyrs and people who have been persecuted over the years, if we went straight into eternity without God bringing to justice those who have hated Him and persecuted His people, heaven would not be exactly pain-free because we'd be crying out, God, why did you let them get away with it? There'll be a thousand years. Charles C. Ryrie said this, Why is an earthly kingdom necessary? Did not he receive, Jesus receive his inheritance when he was raised and exalted in heaven? Is not his present rule his inheritance? Why does there need to be an earthly kingdom? Because he must be triumphant in the same arena where he was seemingly defeated. His rejection by the rulers of this world was on this earth His exaltation must also be on this earth. And so that's a large answer to why a thousand year reign, the millennial reign of Christ. But what about the new Jerusalem? We've read about this in weeks past. The new Jerusalem. Look at this in Revelation 21 verse 23. And the city had no need of the sun. The city is the new Jerusalem. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. So there's going to be light in this new Jerusalem. 1,500 miles high, 1,500 miles wide, and 1,500 miles deep. That's pretty big. There's room for a lot of mansions in that. (laughs) And yet the Bible says that there won't, as big as that cube is, there won't be need for the moon and stars to give its light because... God's going to be the light. The Lamb's going to give light. But it doesn't say there will be no sun or moon. It's just that the brightness of God, the glory of God, is going to be so bright, you might be able to look and see the sun and the moon, but it doesn't mean it's necessary. You won't be dependent on the sun and the moon for light anymore because God will lighten the place. What about the new heaven? Well... Let me give you an equation. I don't know if it's an equation or an axiom or I don't know anything much about math. But neither does the rest of America. Two and two is not four anymore. The new heaven, Revelation 21, 1 through 3. John is given this view of heaven in his day and here's what he wrote in Revelation 21, 1 through 3. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, 
New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And so heaven comes down. Sometimes we sing a hymn. sounds kind of like that. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Boy, in this day, heaven will really literally come down. It says that heaven's going to come down in the form of the new Jerusalem and then the new earth that's been created. Here's, here's my equation. One plus one equals three. <laughs> one new Jerusalem and one new earth equals number three, the new heaven. Jerusalem is going to come down from God out of heaven and he says he's created a new heaven and new earth. So the new heaven and new earth together with the new Jerusalem, that means that the church, the saints of God, even the Old Testament saved people will be dwelling in new Jerusalem, some of them at least, and they'll have freedom to come and go from the new Jerusalem all over the earth. New heaven and new earth. And I'm saying that for a reason because this new heaven is going to have some similarities to the earth that you were designed for in the first place. Even though this earth is fallen and corrupt, it still bears the image of the creation of God just like you do. You're a fallen creature, but you're still made in the image of God. And even though you're corrupted by the fall and you have a sin nature, you still bear a faint image of God. The new heaven will bear an image of the old earth. Revelation 22, 1 through 3 says, And he showed me a pure river of water of, of, water of life, Clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river, there was a, the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him. The passages like this seems to convey the idea that heaven will be somewhat similar in a lot of ways to the old earth. When we were in the old building across the street, in the old storefront building, this was built when Matt still lived here and he helped work on it. He was a rafter monkey. When we were, some of us who were a little bit older and were a little slow about climbing, Matt was, how old were you then, Matt? eight or nine, something like that. Matt could climb like a monkey. So if we had something, we need to send a tool up on top, to an old guy on the bottom and an old guy on the top, we'd send Matt the rafter monkey up the And he's climbing all over this thing. His fingerprints are on every rafter in this building. <laughs> but when we were in that old building across the street, we would come over here to this property when we had made the purchase, we came over. And we'd have services over here sometimes. Now, it was just an old deserted cornfield, muddy, <laughs> old logs laying around. We had logs piled up to make a bonfire. We'd come over and, and we'd sit and drink hot chocolate and, 
and eat popcorn and, and sit around the fire and we'd have services over here. We'd come over here and pray. And even though this place bore the marks of some unearthly place, it was rough. I mean, the place where we're sitting right now is about five feet higher than where it was when we would come over here and have services. We put a lot of field dirt in here before we built the building. And this was just a rough old field. But we'd come over here and have services. Once we constructed the new building, put new field dirt in, a paved parking lot, and, and cleaned up all the property, do you think we have any desire to go back to the way it was when there were logs and mud and stuff like that? I mean, this is a lot nicer place now that it's been fine-tuned and reconstructed. Same place, kind of, but not exactly. It bears some of the features of the old place. I can, Because of my memory, I can look around and remember when dump trucks were parked out there with water up to the center of their wheels. I can remember bulldozers running back and forth out here cutting trenches to drain the water. I can remember a lot of that, but it's a nicer place now. I wouldn't want to go back. And when you get to heaven, friend, you, you will see some things that you will remember from the old earth, and you'll say, man, it kind of looks familiar, but boy, is this better. <laughs> That's the way heaven's going to be. Better. We desire a better country. Heaven on earth will allow us some fond memories. Uh, I was, I don't know, a few days ago, uh, my wife was watching something on TV and, and an old movie. We like the old movies made back in the 30s, 40s, maybe a few in the 50s. Most of the new stuff are either gory or vulgar. And so this old movie came on. And they just talked differently in those old movies. And they had a tone of voice and the way they presented themselves. And, and their characters had different attitudes uh, to a large degree. But I could tell, as soon as I heard that old movie come on, I looked over that way. I thought, that's an old movie from when I was a kid. And I watched it for a few minutes just to see what was going on. And I could remember their, their mannerisms and all from back in the day. Maybe I'll hear an old song once in a while. You ever get one of those stuck in your head that's got a jingle, you know, and you can't get rid of it for two or three days? It just plays over and over and over in your head. I remember, I'll hear an old song on a commercial or something once in a while. And, uh, you know, one like the hair, hair cream we used to have, uh, Brill Cream, a little dab will do you. <laughs> She'll love to run her fingers through your hair. <laughs> little jingles like that. Or Pepsodent, you brush your teeth with Pepsodent, you wonder where the yellow went and things like that. And so now you're going to be hate me for saying those things. You'll think that for the next few days. There'll be an old song that'll bring back some fond memories. I hadn't heard it in a long, long time, but it brings back a simpler time, a distant past, echoes of what used to be. And the new heaven will be here on earth, and it will have echoes from the past. You'll have some fond, fond memories that you remember that will be sweet to your soul. You won't become a new robot in heaven. You'll have memory of the past. Anthony Hokema, a theologian of the past, said, God will make the new earth his dwelling. 
Heaven and earth will then no longer be separated as they are now, but they will be one. But to leave the new earth out of consideration when we think of the final state of believers is greatly to impoverish biblical teaching about the life to come. So you're going to kind of have, you heard the saying, the best of both worlds. <laughs> you have that in the new heaven and the new earth. Well, let's talk about some of the pleasures. I mean, everybody likes to have fun. Everybody likes to laugh. Everybody likes to enjoy themselves. You, you like to eat? Hmm? Anybody have gravy and biscuits and bacon and eggs this morning? Oh, you are impoverished. <laughs> we enjoy things in this life. And we'll enjoy things in the next life. There have been philosophers that say things like, well, I wouldn't even want to go to heaven because it's going to be so dull and so boring, an eternity of sitting on a cloud playing a harp, following all those strict rules and everything. It won't be any fun. Do you know who invented humor in the first place? (laughs) It was not man. It was God. God has a sense of humor. Some of you ladies know that. He gave you a husband. The pleasures of heaven. Will we just go there and and have this somber, stoic look and not enjoy anything? Or will it be fun to be in heaven? There will be pleasures in heaven. One, because Jesus will be in the midst. You remember the verses we read a little while ago where God says He's going to tabernacle with us. He's going to live with us. The Lamb is going to be the light of the city. Jesus is going to be right in the middle of everything. And the one that you... The one that you have longed to see, the one that you have desired to see his face, the one that you'd like to shake his hand and fall at his feet and thank him for dying on that cross to save you from your sins and the penalty of hell, that one will be there. The one who loves you, John three sixteen, he will be the one to greet you in heaven and he'll be there for all eternity. You know what will make heaven greater than anything else is the fact that Jesus will be there. Revelation 21.3 says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. Boy, I'm looking forward to dwelling with the Lord, aren't you? What else will be good about heaven? Well, the scripture we've read a number of times in this series is that God shall wipe away all tears. There is coming a time when he's going to wipe away the tears. Do you remember the last time you cried? Do you remember why? Do you remember feeling lonely? Do you remember being heartbroken? Do you remember being discouraged or disappointed and you cried? Do you remember being hurt with physical pain or emotional pain and you shed tears over it? The Bible says he's going to wipe away all tears. Now, friend, if he wipes away all tears and you don't ever cry again, I think you can assume that's going to be a pretty good place. If you were bored to tears, there would be tears in heaven. But you're not going to be bored to tears. There's going to be excitement. There's going to be adventure. There's going to be things that you will enjoy, pleasures evermore. Disappearance of tears. Will there be a remembrance of the past? Will you be able to remember things on earth when you get to heaven? Or do we just get all of our memory erased and we start over again? Revelation 6, 9 says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, this is talking about the tribulation time and, and martyrs who were, had, had to give up their lives 
for the testimony of Christ. It says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they, had, they held. And they cried with a loud voice. Now these are people that's in heaven that were killed during the tribulation time. They're in heaven now. And he says, John says, I saw them. And they cried with a loud voice. That means they had a loud voice. They were able to speak. Have you ever wondered if you'd be able to talk in heaven? They did. They cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Hey, they remember that they were persecuted and slain. They remember what happened on earth. And they're not perfect in their knowledge yet. Sometimes I think we get get the notion that when we get to heaven, we'll know everything that God knows. Not so. Nobody's going to know everything that God knows. Our eternity will be one of progressive education. We'll be learning things. How How do I surmise that? Because right here it says, they ask God, how long? Is it going to be before you avenge our blood? Well, they obviously didn't know or they wouldn't have to ask him. They had a sense of justice. That means they were still reasoning about things on earth. They remembered people on earth. And they said, how long? Which would indicate that <clears throat> there is a, an element of time in heaven. Now, oftentimes we use that passage of Scripture when during the tribulation time when, when the Lord says, or the angel says, time shall be no more. Well, I don't think it really means that time is going to cease to exist. It just means that those people who are rejecting God and are persecuting the believers, time shall be no more. They're running out of time. They haven't decided for the Lord. They're an enemy of God. And God said, I'm about this close to coming to the end of my patience with you. Time is running out for you. But it doesn't mean there won't be time in heaven. I've I've probably said in the past, believing that there wouldn't be time anymore. But after examining this, it's obvious that people in heaven do have some concept of time and that time passes progressively in heaven. And because people learn progressively in heaven, that's an element of time. And then he says white robes were given unto every one of them. This would speak to the fact that during this intermediate state in this intermediate heaven that's still up there somewhere, there are people up there who have believed and they don't have their resurrected bodies yet, but it says white robes were given unto them, indicating they must have some sort of body, even though it's not a resurrection body, they must be given some sort of temporary body or they wouldn't need white robes. White robes kind of indicate a bodily shape, does it not? And he, he also says, there were white robes given unto every one of them, every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season. So they don't know everything yet, and time is still progressing forward. He says, you're going to have to rest for a little while. Why? Because their fellow servants and their, and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So... We can see a few things just from that one passage of Scripture that clues us in to how heaven may be. Will we recognize people there? Will you recognize your wife, your children, your family, your friends? 
Well, these people in this passage of Scripture recognize those who persecuted them. So I would suspect that you ought to at least know your family and friends, don't you? So you think we'll know Moses when we see him? If I see anybody that I think looks like Moses, I'm going to ask him. And Hebrews says there's a great cloud of witnesses, I believe, which includes that hall of faith from Hebrews chapter 11, where that great cloud of witnesses, they can actually see what's going on. Your grandma is watching you, and so is your mom, so you better straighten up. What about entertainment and amusement? Are we going to be able to tell corny jokes in heaven? Well, the difference will be, the enlightened difference will be, when I tell a corny joke in heaven, you'll laugh. Will we have fun in heaven? Is there entertainment and amusement? Will, do you like to go hiking? Do you like to go boating? Do you like to take road trips to national parks? I saw a bunch of pictures from David Winston and Floyd Folsom on two different trips with their families. And they've been all over the United States, up the coast of California, uh, through the deserts of Arizona and New Mexico, and into Oregon and across, uh, across uh, the Yellowstone and the Badlands bad and Minnesota, and they're headed back this direction now. They've been to a lot of national parks. Do you enjoy doing something like that? I do. And it would seem like that there's some things for us to enjoy. If God put desires in us in the Garden of Eden, those people in the Garden of Eden before the fall, and even after the fall, had desires in them. And who put them there? I mean, who put your taste buds in your mouth in the first place? You enjoy eating a good chili dog? Slaw dog? <laughs> no, he doesn't like slaw. He's a non-vegetarian. He's one of those guys that eats a sandwich and throws the bread away. <laughs> he eats a taco without the taco shell. <laughs> You've got taste buds. Do you enjoy taste? Maybe you had COVID and destroyed your taste buds, but at least sometime in your life you had taste buds and you enjoyed the taste of something that you like, coconut cream pie, gravy and biscuits, enchilada. Who gave you that desire to love the things that you taste? God created your taste buds. Would he create in you the desire to have pleasures and then deny you all of them? I don't think so. If God designed Adam and Eve to live in a specific place on earth and that was something he said was very good, then all those desires before the fall must have been good. And so it's not unspiritual to have a desire, as long as it's not immoral or unbiblical. It's not a sin to have a desire or to fulfill that desire. Even we think sometimes the desires, even sex comes to our mind and we think, well, boy, the Bible condemns adultery and fornication and homosexuality and everything. It does. But you have a desire that's put in you that was natural and given to you by God and it's fulfilled within the context of marriage. That's the key desires are given to us but they're fulfilled in the way that God intended 
Revelation 21, 24 says, And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it, this new Jerusalem, new heaven on earth. There's other nations? I thought we did away with all of them. No, Israel's still a nation. And the Bible says there's other nations, at least in the millennial reign of Christ, the precursor to the eternal state. And so there's other nations. When you go outside that new Jerusalem, and you'll be permitted to according to the scripture, you'll be able to go across the countryside. You'll be able to see rural areas. I love rural areas. (laughs) I live in a rural area, and I went there on purpose. I'm, I'm just particularly fond of quiet peacefulness and to some degree solitariness, being able to be on your own out in the rural areas. Now Paul and Dee really live in the rural area. You have to go beyond the edge of the earth to get to their place. <laughs> but I like to... So would you be confined to the new Jerusalem? No, the Bible says there's other nations. There's got to be people living in those nations and those other cities. And so can you go visit them? Can you do a road trip? Can you go and look at waterfalls? We did that in North Carolina a couple years ago. We went to every waterfall in North Carolina, I think. We even got to go to Mayberry and see Andy and Barney. Rode in their car. Can you do things like that? in the new heaven and new earth? Or will it just be a boring existence? Or will it be one of excitement and adventure? If heaven was boring, I think it would necessitate the, the idea that God is boring. Do you think God's boring? <laughs> so why would he live in a place that's boring and why would he take us to a place that's boring if he's not boring? Boating and fishing? But wait. Preacher, what about, the, what about the verse in Revelation 21.1 that we read a little while ago and where it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Well, no more sea doesn't mean there's not going to be any creeks and rivers and lakes. The sea was a deadly place, a dangerous place back in those days. I mean, storms would come up on the sea and, and wreck ships, and everybody would die. There were... A lot of dangers. Even John, the apostle who wrote our book that we're studying this morning, the apostle John was exiled to the island of Patmos, surrounded by the sea. I bet he was pretty excited. I mean, he was imprisoned on that rocky old island by the sea. Don't you suppose that he was pretty excited to hear there's not going to be any more sea? I can get off of this stinking island now. (laughs) No more sea. But that doesn't mean you can't float down the river. Maybe the buffalo. Well, I think that one's going to be destroyed, but maybe, make, maybe God will make one like it. Maybe there'll be some lakes. It doesn't say those will be done away. Oh, we've got to get to this one. It won't take long, but I know somebody's probably wondering, will there be animals in heaven? Will there be animals in heaven? Well, Isaiah 6, uh, 11, 6 says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. 
Can you imagine a little child leading a hippopotamus? (laughs) And the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like an ox. And the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp, which was a poisonous snake. Snakes won't be able to bite you with venom anymore. They won't want to because the curse is lifted. Even in the millennial reign, the curse is already lifted, which is being described here. Well, you say, but that's not the eternal state. Do you think God would go back in the eternal state and make things worse than they were in the millennium? (laughs) You'll be able to have a, a pet snake that won't eat you. You'll be able to have an alligator sleep in the dog bed if you're so a man. Now, me, I, I wouldn't care for them myself. I'd rather eat them. And the, in Revelation 21, 5, it says, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. All things new. All things new. Well, if he makes all things new, wouldn't that include the creation and the animals as well as the humans? If he makes all things new, won't there be some animals there too? Christ didn't die for the animals so that they could be born again and be saved. But he cares for the animals. And, and, the, and the law in the Old Testament, he even gave guidelines to how to treat your animals fairly, with respect. Don't work them to death. Don't be mean to them. When Jesus comes with his armies from heaven at his second coming, what's he going to be riding on? A what? Horse. And all of his armies are going to be riding horses. You're going to be in on it. I hope you like horses. (laughs) I mean, they they might be scary to you, but just think how scary it will be coming through the sky on one of them, like a jet plane. Humorist Will Rogers said, if there are no dogs in heaven, then when I die, I want to go where they are. <laughs> now, that was made from sentiment, not theology, but, but the sentiment is there that, that uh, people love animals, and you've probably got pets you love, and, and you probably had some to die, and, and you love those animals, and, and it's part of God's creation. John Wesley said, something better remains after death for these poor creatures that these likewise shall one day be delivered from this bondage of corruption and shall then receive an ample amends for all their present sufferings. Randy Alcorn says, it seems that God could do one of three things on the new earth. He could create, number one, create entirely new animals, or number two, bring back to life the animals that have suffered in our present world and give them immortal bodies. Or number three, he could create some animals brand new from scratch and bring back some of the, to life some of the old ones. Well, the Bible doesn't specify which way he's going to do it, but the Bible seems to be plain there are animals in heaven. Even in the millennial temple, there will be animal sacrifices. Lambs will be sacrificed on the altar in the millennial temple. So there are numbers of animals mentioned in the Bible that will be here then. But what will we do? By the way, I'm not saying that your pet that died will be in heaven. What I'm saying is there will be animals there. And if God sees fit to recreate your pet, then so be it. I don't know. 
But what are the possibilities for personal involvement in heaven? What will we do there? And, well, Greek philosopher Plato thought that any physical senses were really bad and that it was subpar, that you ought to live on a more of a spiritual, metaphysical level. And I think that philosophy has invaded the thoughts of a lot of Christians and Bible scholars that anything that's for pleasure should be avoided. Not me. I'm not giving up my chili corn dogs or, or chili, what do I say? chili slaw dogs. <laughs> Our desire for pleasure comes directly from God's hand. And one of the things that gives us pleasure, one of the things is that we'll be working in heaven. What are we going to be doing in heaven? One of the things, not all time. We'll be serving God full time, but we won't be laboring all time. We'll be, we'll be having fun and doing other things. And, but being productive in heaven, it won't suddenly come to a standstill that nobody's doing anything. We'll be, we'll be working. Uh, Erica, you, they might have you playing the piano. If you already have a talent in this world, a gift, maybe God will see fit to use you for that in the next world. If you're a construction worker, maybe he'll have you helping build those other cities outside the New Jerusalem. If you're an agricultural worker, maybe he'll have you growing watermelons for, for the people. And so there'll be a lot of things to do. If you're an artist, maybe he'll have you painting and being productive. And he says in Luke 19, and he said unto him, Well, thou good, thou, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. In the millennial reign, the thousand years prior to the eternal state, which will be heaven-like, he's going to put people who were faithful in this life in charge of things in that millennial reign. And so he may, Brother Paul, you may be the chief of staff over all the military. Scary, isn't it, D? <laughs> Brother Lloyd may run everything that's mechanical and machinery oriented over the whole earth. He's supervisor over all of it. Maybe... Uh, Maybe Brother Connor will be in charge of all the vegetarian restaurants. <laughs> He's not looking forward to that. <laughs> there was an Edenic, 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 Eden-like mandate for man to work. In the Garden of Eden, they worked, and that was before the fall. And still yet, even in our fallen state, we enjoy, usually most of us enjoy our work. We enjoy what we do. We find satisfaction in that. So to go to heaven and not work, not do anything productive, not be constructive in any way, would seem to be boring. And so I think we will be working according to what the Scripture says. Will we gather together and have meals together? Maybe we'll have some banquets, fellowship suppers. Will we gather together maybe to sing? Will we gather together? Maybe it's just a group of friends. You'll still have, I believe you'll have best friends. God's not going to destroy all the friendships you had on earth. If your wife is your best friend now, she'll probably be your best friend in heaven. If your husband, likewise, vice versa. 
Will we gather together in groups of best friends and families and reminisce about things on the old earth? Well, they did in that passage we read, although it was not a pleasant one, they remembered martyrdom. And so that gives us the idea that they remember things that happened on earth. So wouldn't we probably remember the nicer things that happened on earth? And especially after he wipes away all tears, we won't, we won't worry about those who went to hell because we will be more like him at that time. And once we get to heaven, if all tears are wiped away, we're not going to sit around grieving about all the people that didn't make it. I saw a picture of two old women sitting together. Man, I mean, they look ancient. Two old women sitting in their rocking chairs. One of them looks at the other one and said, you know, I've lived so long now, I think all my friends in heaven are going to think I didn't make it. <laughs> well, will we remember things? And will we get together and have times where we reminisce, tell stories? I used to go to the old grocery store, the old uh, country store where I grew up, and the old men sat around on the oil cases around the potbelly stove and tell their stories. <laughs> and I loved that. I think we'll do some of that in heaven, only we'll tell the truth then. <laughs> There'll be eternal progress. What about the people of heaven? Well, and i got to cut it a little shorter. I mentioned this already, but the people in heaven, number one, will be the Old Testament saints, those who believed by faith. The New Testament Christians, those who are born again by believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. There'll be angels there. All the angelic creatures, all the creatures of heaven that are unfallen will be there. All those who accepted the Lord, but the key is faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So if you're planning on being good enough to get there, there's no place reserved for you. You must make reservations ahead of time and by believing on what Jesus did on the cross for you. There's no other way to be saved except believing that he took your place on that cross, suffered for your sins for you, and then all the joys of heaven, whatever they may be, and I think they'll be great, will be yours but you have to make reservations by placing your trust, your faith in Jesus Christ being born again into the family of God. Heaven is not a default destination. You have to consciously make a decision to trust Christ as your Savior. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd bless us. Lord, as we go to this important part of the service, I pray that you'd just speak to hearts, help people to trust that there is a beauty, a joy, a pleasure in heaven, being with the Lord and with each other. And Lord, for those who have not trusted Christ as Savior yet, I pray that this would be the very day when they say, I am a sinner, like the Bible says. Lord, I don't want to go to hell. I want to make my reservation in heaven by believing, and I do, that Jesus bled and died on the cross of Calvary to pay for my sins. I trust him as my savior this very day, this very instant. Please save me. Our heads are